Back in 1799, Patrick Henry, in response to a resolutions made in Kentucky, uttered the, the now famous phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. This wasn't original to him. This had been used before in different places, but it was original for the United States, and it became a motto in the United States to the point that the people still use it as a motto or a mantra, and, and uh, different places have, have put it on tags and different things, and, and we see that uttered during election times, and we see that uttered at other times, but the reason why it's so popular is because it's true. There's strength in our unity. When the United States was formed, it was just that. It was a, u- a union of states that was formed together. And Patrick Henry and many others understood that, that one state by itself would probably not stand very long against tyrants and Europe and other places. But if we bound together and we bonded together, we could become strong enough to stand, and we did. This is not a political sermon this morning. This is not, it's just a little bit of history for you. But we need to understand that we need to be united We need to have unity in the church. We need to have unity in our communities. We need to have unity in our country. And that's difficult to do today because every group that's out there is trying to put you in a box. They're trying to divide you. They're trying to separate you. They're trying to define you by your skin color. They're trying to define you by your income. They're trying to define you by your gender. They're trying to define you by anything that they can. And we do it without even thinking about it. We meet somebody for the first time. One of the first things we ask is, what do you do? You know why we ask, what do you do? Because we want to put them in a box. We want to put them in a box. If we know what they do for a living, we can start making some assumptions about them, and we can start putting them in a box. God didn't call us to live in these boxes. These boxes are all distractions. These boxes all separate us. They all divide us, and they make us weaker on, on every single level. What kind of a box do you live in today? When people look at you or when you talk about yourself, are you putting yourself in a box? Are you defining yourself? And some boxes may seem like they're okay. You know, say, well, I'm a a mom or I'm a dad. And they say, well, that's that's a good box. But, But we have to be careful that when that becomes all that we are, we miss out on what God has for us. In the Bible, God actually has a couple boxes. He doesn't have hundreds of boxes or thousands of boxes. He really only has two boxes. And we're going to look at 1 John here in a moment. So if you want to turn to 1 John, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to look at, at these two boxes that he's going to share with us today. This could be a quick sermon. Hour, hour and a half tops. In 1 John chapter number 5, we'll start reading in verse number 11. This is 1 John, not, not the, the Gospel of John. 1 John chapter number 5, verse number 11 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Here's the boxes. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Did you see the two boxes? We have two boxes there. We have, we have one box. This is the box of people that, that has the Son, that has Jesus Christ. And then we have the other box that, that doesn't have the Son, doesn't have Jesus Christ. And we, say this, we see this same theme played out throughout the entire Bible. 
We see where in the Old Testament where God's chosen people and God's not chosen people. Those that were worshipers of God and lovers of God and those that were not worshipers of God and lovers of God. And we see this division throughout the entire Bible. He that hath the Son hath life. We see this group over here, the ones that have the Son, they have life. And this one doesn't have life. Without the Son, there is no life. What, what is the, what, how do we say no life? We call that death, right? They have death. The Bible teaches us that we're born dead in our trespasses and sin. So in essence, we're all born in this box over here. We're all born without the Son. We're all born with death. But many have made it over into this box. Matter of fact, most of the people that, 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 are, that John is talking to here, because this is written to the believers, most of the people that John is talking to here have, ha, are in this box over here. They have the Son. And most of the people that are listening to me this morning, whether you're here in person or you're watching on the internet, most of you probably are in this box over here. You have the Son. You have life. But at one point, you were here. At one point, you were in this box. The point I'm trying to make is God has two boxes. There's no gray area in between. There's no, well, I'm going to sit on the edge of the box and see which way the world goes. I've seen people say, well, I want to live my life, but on my deathbed, I'm going to, I'm going to confess Jesus Christ. Well, that's a possibility, but you've got a better chance on your deathbed of being struck by lightning than you do making a deathbed confession. It's not, without, it's not outside the realm of possibility. But when you go into it with that mindset, it's not happening. It'll be words, no truth. So who is this group? Who has the son? Those that are born again. Look in, in John, John chapter 3, I want you to see a, a story about a man named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse number 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what do we know about, about Nicodemus? We know quite a bit from that statement, don't we? He's, he's a ruler of the Jews. He's, he's of the Pharisees, but he's not just your typical Pharisee, is he? He's a ruler of the Pharisees. Now we know a, lot, a little bit about the Pharisees from history. We know a little bit about the Pharisees from the Bible. And we know, most importantly, they opposed the work of Jesus Christ. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They actively worked against his ministry to the point that they followed him looking for opportunities to make false accusations. So here's this man, Nicodemus. He's part of this group that's anti-Christ. He's a leader of this group that's anti-Christ. But yet what does he do? It says the same, verse number two, came to Jesus by night. Why do you think he came at night? I think that's kind of obvious, isn't it? He was worried about what the other Pharisees would say. He was afraid of losing his position. He was afraid of losing his power. And said unto him, Rabbi. Now this is a powerful statement from this man of the Pharisees. Do we know, what does the word rabbi mean in English? What is it? It can have two meanings. What is it? Teacher or master? It can mean either one of those two. I don't know who was talking. Was that you, Justin? Okay. Looking back here, I'm like, nobody's lips are moving, but I'm hearing voices. See, <laughs> be that kind of service. Um, master or teacher. 
So for him simply to address Jesus like this, we see he's put some thought into this. His heart is breaking over this. He's been dwelling on this. The Holy Spirit is working on him for him to recognize that. He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. See, he, he recognizes it, but he's still not willing to say Messiah yet, is he? We have a lot of this in our society where they recognize Jesus because you can't deny the existence of Jesus, not, not rationally. I guess you could deny anything. You could deny my existence if you wanted to, but it doesn't, that's not a rational statement. It can't rationally because there's overwhelming archaeological evidence. So what they do is instead they say, well, he was a good teacher or he was a, he was a good man. And, and where Nicodemus isn't, doesn't mean that, he just hasn't, he hasn't gotten past that step yet. He knows there's something different, but he's not willing to say Messiah yet. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is powerful stuff. Nicodemus is rightly confused. He says in verse number 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answereth, answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's given him the prescription. First, he, he lays it out. He says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And by the way, that's the, the message for all of us today. We have to be born again. We are all born, but we need to be born again. And Nicodemus is confused because in his mind, he's thinking only on physical terms. He's like, how am I born again? That, that's not possible. You know, it, it can't be done. You can't be born twice physically. And Jesus explains it to him. You have to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. Born of, a, born of water is a, is a term that means being born of the flesh. When a woman gives birth, unless there's a complication or something, when a woman gives birth, what happens before the baby comes out is the water comes out. There's water that surrounds the child. And in order for the child to get out of the womb, what has to happen? The baby has to come through that water. Normally, you know, we, we, the woman will say, my water what? Broke. The water broke. That means the baby's coming through. Guys, when you hear a woman say her water broke, start the car. Dial 911, something. Because it's, it's happening quick. The water broke. So that's, that's being born of what Jesus is saying. Yes, yes, you have to be born of the water. You have to be born of the flesh. Good news is, every one of us in here today, we meet that criteria, don't we? We were all born. Is anybody here not born at least once? No, we're all good. So we met that one. That's an easy one. And so he's trying to explain it to him because Nicodemus is thinking, how am I born of the water twice? I'm born once. I'm born of the water. And then born of the Spirit. That's the second birth. He says, and born of the water and of Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he clarifies it. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not, verse number 7, that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? He's telling him, You, should, or you already know this. Studying the scripture, you should already know this. You see, what we, the difference between this box and this box 
these people have been born. That's why we all started there. We were all born. We all came through the water. We had that fleshly birth. The ones over here, these are the ones that were born again. These are the ones that were born of the Spirit. There's two types of life. Two types of life. Just like there's two types of death. We've talked about this before. We have a physical life and a spiritual life. We have a physical death and a spiritual death. When we're born in this world, we, we come to this world with a physical life. We live our life physically. Over time, our body, because of the sin nature within us, and also the sin nature all around us, our bodies begin to break down. Our minds start to break down. Our joints start to break down. And things start happening to us, and we slowly begin that trip and that, that march to the grave. Until suddenly we're physically dead. And when we die, we identify death. We all understand death. Death is when the living is separated from the, from the physical. The physical stays the same for a while. We'll bring the body. We'll lay the body out up here in a casket. People will come by and they'll pay their last respects. They'll talk to the body. The body can't hear you, by the way. They'll talk about the body. I can tell you some stories about things I've heard standing by a casket. Because sometimes, particularly kids, will say the most inappropriate things. I won't share them all with you now. There's some really good ones. Because when we come up here and we see the body, you know, we, we, see, we see grandma on display and it looks like grandma's taking a nap, right? But inside we understand she's not taking a nap. The life has been separated. The two lives, her spirit and her physical, have been separated. That's our physical life. That life force is taken away from us and it stops. The other force is within us, that spiritual force never dies. That's why sometimes, you guys, some, you guys are, some of you are old enough to understand this. I was talking about putting people in boxes before. Most of, most of you, probably half of you are better are baby boomers, right? That's a pretty big box. Nobody wants to admit they're a baby boomer. If you're older than me, you're a baby boomer. I'm not a baby boomer, by the way. Gen X in the house. What's up? My wife. My wife is a baby boomer. I like to point that out to her. We're just completely different people from different generations. I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, I know where I was going. You people are old. And uh, so you've experienced, you've seen these things, you've seen death, you've seen these things before. And we understand that, that how that, 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 pull, that, when that life is separated from the physical. But sometimes, and I know this has happened to you, do you ever forget how old you are? Nobody else forgets how old they are. Nobody gets surprised by what they see in the mirror. Nobody, nobody gets is sitting there and they're like, hey, I think I'm gonna go do this in the yard today. Oh, I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the store, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go to this, I'm gonna go do this. And then you get up, you start moving, you're like, whoa, my list was a little too big for today. Because in our minds, our minds are still sharp, our minds are still active, our minds, we're still 21 years old. But the rest of the body doesn't understand that. 
And sometimes it's tough to get us moving, tough getting us going. And we get frustrated. I get frustrated sometimes. When my, I'll be, I have all these plans and then my knee will start hurting. I'm like, come on. And I'll try and power through it and it just makes it, makes it that much worse. But it's because that inside, that being what we truly are, doesn't die. The body dies. The clay vessel dies. But what we truly are, our true essence, that true spirit that's within us, it doesn't die. It's eternal. Not eternal the way God is. You know, God doesn't have a beginning or an end. We had a beginning. There was a point in time where we did not exist. But we have an eternity now. And what Jesus was trying to tell people when he was here on the earth is, is you are an eternal being. Your body's going to die, but your spirit's going to go on. And you need to make a decision here which box you're going to die in. Are you physically going to die in this box and die separated from God without the Son? Or are you going to physically die in this box united with the Son? Because either way, you've got an eternal existence. By the way, God's plan, God's will, is that none, none of you should perish. Nobody in the world should perish. That's hard for us to believe sometimes because there's some pretty bad people out there. There's been some pretty evil people in history, and yet God says it's his will that none should perish. In other words, none should die and go to hell. But yet we know from the facts that people die and go to hell every day because they choose to stay in this box. God's desire is for us to be here. And everything that he's put together with heaven is, operates under the assumption that every single one of us goes there. We stand before the judgment seat and we look to see whose names are in the, in, in the book of life. You know, when we're born, when we're created, when God first knows us, when he first creates our spirits, our names are written in the book of life. Everybody's. It's not something that gets added when you get saved. Did you know that? It's not something that gets added. What happens is when you reject Jesus Christ, the Bible says it's blotted out. When you reject Jesus Christ, in essence, he takes a, 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 the pen and just crosses your name out. And it's removed. Because his desire, his will is that every soul that he creates joins him in heaven. But Jesus Christ said, I go away to prepare a place for you. He made a place for every single one of us. And I know there's no heartaches in heaven. I know there's no tears in heaven. But I wonder how we're going to react when we get to heaven and we see that a house was made for grandma and grandma's not there. I don't know how all that works, by the way. I don't know, because I know he said he prepared a place for us. For those that reject him, I don't know if they, if they tear those down and rebuild something. I don't know how all that works. But I know that his plan, God's plan, is that every single one of us, that's how he created us. That's your, how he created us in the Garden of Eden. He created man and he created woman. He created Adam and he created Eve. And during the cool of the day, it says God would come and walk with them during the cool of the day. Why? They had no sin. They had no sin. There was nothing separating them from God. And we know the story. I don't have to rehash the whole story. The serpent comes. He tricks Eve. Didn't really trick her very hard. He basically just told her what she wanted to hear, which is pretty much how all sin works, right? Sin tells you what you want to hear. And then you, you get into it. Next thing you know, you're kicked out of the garden. You're kicked out of the presence of God. And then Adam got blamed for the whole thing. 
And he was the second one to eat of the fruit. But he was responsible. He was the head. He was the head of the family. He was the first of creation. He was the first. And so we, we see that's how God intended. God intended for us to live with him together in the garden in perfection. But we allowed sin in. And that sin passes on from our fathers. We, we inherit that sin nature inside of us when we're born. And some people have a hard time with that saying, you mean, you mean I'm held responsible for sins that I didn't even commit? Yeah, you are. But don't worry. It's okay. You've committed plenty of sins all by yourself that you don't have to worry about the sins of your father as much as you need to worry about your own sins. The good news is, is that when we are born again, the sins of our fathers are forgiven. When we're born again, our sins are forgiven. Not just covered up like they were in the Old Testament, not just blotted, you know, covered over, and, but they're completely washed away. And Isaiah says it makes our hearts as white as snow. As white as snow. So we have those two lives. We have those two deaths. The problem is, is God created heaven for us. He didn't create an alternative for us. He created a place for the demons, for Lucifer, Satan, and his, his fallen angels. The angels that chose to follow him when he left heaven. He created a place for them. It's called hell. The lake of fire. So these places that he created for, for them, we die. We're supposed to go to heaven. We can't go to heaven because we don't have the sun. So we stand at the judgment seat. He looks in the book and he's like, your name's not here. And then he says, well, okay, let's judge you on your works. Did you know everybody gets judged on their works, by the way? There's two different judgments, but we all get judged on our works. The, the lost, they're going to go and they're going to they're be judged on their works to see if they, if they were good enough to get into heaven. And you know what the answer is every single time? You came up short. Came up short. But God's going to go, he's going to open the books. And he's going to look, he's like, no. No, there's not enough good here. Because in order to get into heaven, you have to be perfectly good. And only one was perfectly good, and that was Jesus Christ. The only way we go to Jesus Christ isn't based upon our righteousness, our good works, anything we do. Our, we go to heaven because of Jesus Christ. And no other reason. So they're not in the book. They open the other books. Their works aren't enough. You can't go into heaven. The only other place for you is hell. Not created for you. Not designed for you. But it's the only other place. The other judgment are those that are found in the book. They go to a different judgment. And when they go to that judgment, that's me, by the way, and hopefully all of you, we go, we're also judged on our works. But our, we're not being judged on our works to see whether or not we get into heaven or not. We're being judged on our works to see what survives. The stuff that we do of ourselves, the stuff that we, stuff that we do that's, that's of this world, the Bible calls it wood, hay, and stubble. It's all burned up in the process. The only things that survive are the things that we did for the kingdom of Jesus. And we're judged on those things. And if those things are in place, we get rewarded. We get crowns. There are several crowns that the Bible talks about. And we get those crowns. By the way, when you get to heaven, you get a crown, hold on to it for a minute, because we're about to cast them all back to his feet. Because we couldn't have done any of it without him. They're actually his crowns. His rewards. 
So we have these two boxes. Don't worry about all the other boxes. Don't worry about the boomer box or the color of your skin box or the economic box or the political party box or the, the male or female box or the single mom, married mom box, the, 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 the homeschoolers, the regular schoolers. Don't worry about any of these other boxes. The world is trying to divide you and put you into. Worry about two boxes. And if you're in this box where you have the sun, we need to start inviting more people into this box. That box is overwhelmed. We need to continue to let the people in that box know there's something better. Our world is hurting. Our world is searching for something today. And the people in this world are filling it with anything they can fill it with. They're filling it with, with entertainment. They're filling it with, with drugs. They're filling it with, with, with cigarettes and alcohol. They're filling it with, with uh, worldly pleasures. They're filling it with, with uh, ungodly um, hobbies and other things. They're filling it with anything they can. And at the end of the day, they find out they still want more because it's not satisfying their thirst. And you have what will satisfy them. You have the water of life. We just have to tell them. We just have to share it with the world. The world is desperately hungry for Jesus Christ. The sad part is most of the world doesn't know what it is they're hungry for. We need to tell them. We're bold about telling them about all kinds of things. We all have an opinion. I could start a fight in here if I just start talking about Ford and Chevy. And Jeep. I don't want to leave the Jeep owners out. We could start a fight. Florida, Florida State, UCF. We could start a fight. I'm sure we can. People will fight about anything. I go, I, I'm part of pastors groups on Facebook. And they fight about the dumbest things. Sometimes somebody will post something. I'm like, V, come here, watch this. Ten minutes, this is going to be a fight. And sure enough, beep, 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 beep. Everybody's fighting. All these pastors are on there fighting about something that just doesn't matter. Because we love to fight. We'll share anything. Except what truly matters. If you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here today, you don't even know exactly what that means. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. If you've never done, done that, you, you're over here in this box. The sad reality of this box is that, that you will die, just like this book group will. We will have physical deaths, all of us, if the Lord doesn't come back first. You will die, and you'll open up your eyes in hell. That's the hard reality. That makes people uncomfortable. As soon as I start talking about hell, hell people start squirming in their seats. That's the reality of it. The good news is, just like Nicodemus, the solution is the same. You must be born again. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. The Bible also tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today. Today can be the day of your salvation. We're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. And we have that time of invitation. We want to invite you to come on out. Let me show you in the Word of God how you can know for sure if you die today, you'd go to heaven and not hell. Let me show you in the Word of God how you can live in this box the rest of your life here and not that box.
This box has the hope of all of Jesus Christ. This box is full of nothing but hopelessness. Where do you live? Where do you want to live?